Absolutely, absolutely. Well, our scripture today is from 1 John 4, starting with verse 7. And while you find it, I shall pray for us. Lord, we pray that you would uh, open up our eyes and our hearts today. Um, We pray that you'd open them up to your scriptures, um, that we may know more of you when we leave this place. We pray as well that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to our neighbors, uh, who you, uh, in your scriptures, call us to love in your name. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent His Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this way, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because He first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from Him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My dad and I have a running joke Uh, When I was a kid and say I'd go to youth group or I was at a retreat or something, and for whatever reason that I had heard a sermon or a message that he had not, uh, when I came back, he would ask me, you know, what the preacher preach on? And there were two possible responses. Uh, You could say, what the preacher preach on? And I would say, sin. And uh, and then uh, he would say, well, what do you have to say about it? And I would say, uh, well, he was against it. And we could do it the other way too. If he had, yeah, if he'd been gone and I, you know, and I, if he had heard something, I, I would work the other way. Or it could go like this: uh, you might say, "Well, what did the preacher preach on? Well, he preached on love. Well, what did he have to say about it? Well, he was for it, right?" And so often, you know, love is just sort of in the water of Christianity, and we hear about it. And God is love, and it's this nice thing that we hear and it's almost boiled down to kind of uh, what my dad's joke was identifying which is that it's sort of just a all right it's there it's kind of lame kind of boring 
And it's just sort of what you expect to hear. It's like a knick-knack on the shelf that just sort of sits there and you don't actually do anything with it. Uh, and so often that's how we've treated what we read here in First uh, John, John 4, that God is love. And that's, we just sort of leave it there. And it becomes sort of uh, sentimental. It, but it doesn't, it doesn't produce any discernible, distinctive difference about uh, what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, and what we do in response. It's sentimental, but it's not transformational. We might as well be saying with the Beatles, all you need is love, or I don't know who sang this, but somebody sang, uh, love will keep us alive, right? It's this nice little cultural sentimental thing, but we don't, doesn't seem to change us. Um, and if anything, it may seem a little naive because, of course, uh, love doesn't seem to be all that we need in this world sometimes. But John, as he writes here, is not naive. Just on the other side of the page, if you will, in the verses right before what we read today, uh, John is warning against false prophets and against antichrists and against spirits that are not of God. And then he tells us in response to that, that God is love. John is not blind to the rough spots of our world. John is not blind to sin. John is not blind to opposition to the Christian community. And it is in response to those who have rejected him and his message and who have rejected Jesus as the Son of God that he says God is love. He's not sentimental. He's not naive. He is identifying something that is supposed to make a profound difference and the lives of the people that he is writing to. He wants them to understand that when we say God is love, that is identifying something at the very core of what we say about who God is. And in fact, in addition to that, it is, we are identifying something absolutely central to who we understand ourselves to be in response to God's love, that we are God's beloved people. We are the beloved community. And that if that is true, if the reality is that God is love and the reality is that we should be those who are defined by God's love, then it should change the way that we actually live. It should change the way that we actually live. God is love. That tells us who God is. John doesn't want us to miss this point. Okay? Uh, the word that he uses here is, uh, is agape, and that word John, is very important for John. He uses it 105 times between the Gospel of John and these three letters of John. And he uses it 27 times, it and its various forms, just in the passage that we just read. You can't miss it. And in fact, many of the scholars, as they, uh, they take the manuscripts and lay them out you know, in the Greek to be read, this might not appear in your Bible, but that it's poetic. It's, uh, it's not just sort of a logical deduction. He's identifying something that is beautiful poetry. God is love. He doesn't want us to escape this fact. And for John, it is, in fact, inescapable if you look at how God's love is revealed. And for John, God's love is revealed through God's Son. Through God's Son. And through specifically what Jesus has done to um, to die on our behalf, 
to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins is the language that he uses so that we might be restored to our relationship with God. When we say that God is love as Christians, uh, one of the things that we are identifying is something about uh, who God is, the being of God. Uh, the, those of you who took a philosophy class somewhere along the way might remember the word ontology. All that means is the study of what is. Okay, uh, So you forget that word, but uh, what God is, is love, John says. And how can that be? Well, we as Christians, what we affirm is that um, the love of God is revealed in God being Father, Son, and Spirit. The, the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Father loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Father, the Son loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Son. In God's very being, as the Father, Son, and Spirit, God is love. And that we as human beings, made in the image of God, are made in the image of that triune love. And what, of course, has happened, as we all know from our personal experience, is that we don't exactly abide in God's love. We do things that we, the way that we want to do them. Uh, we, uh, we reject our creation in the image of God. Um, we reject the love that God has for us and do things the way that we want to do them. And we all, we all know that uh, if we think hard about our own lives. It's just the fact. Now, you and I, when we, uh, when we encounter someone who uh, doesn't do things the way that we think ought to be done, or in fact who rejects us and acts like they hate us, most of the time, at least, most of the time, you are not going to have a relationship with that person. You'll just have nothing to do with them. That's the natural human tendency, at least. But yet, when we say, or when John says that God's love has been revealed to us in the Son and in the death of the Son as the, as the sacrifice for our sins, what he's saying is that God, who made us in his image, has acted, that the Father has acted through the Son to bring us back into the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit by sending Jesus to make that possible. And so we know by looking at Jesus that God is love. Because we've seen that demonstrated in him. Uh, Jesus in John's gospel will say uh, that no one has seen the Father, but if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. And that's what we as Christians affirm. If you want to know what God looks like, don't think of like bearded old man in the sky like the cartoons always paint him. If you want to know what the Father looks like, what the Father is like, you look at the Son. You want to understand God, you look at Jesus. And so that everything God does, God's um, commandments that he gives us, God's judgment to put the world back right, um, God's sending of Jesus himself is all an aspect of God's love. But not only that, John wants us to know. Not only should we know that God is love in the very core of who he is, God wants us, or John wants us to understand that we are to be defined by God's love in the very core of who we are. In heart and soul, at the very, when you boil everything about you down, that you are uh, named by God's love and literally named by it. Because what John does is he addresses uh, his, the audience of this letter uh, as the beloved. He says, uh, beloved, let us love. 
That's how he names them. That's how he identifies who they are. They are the love people, the agapatois. All right? They are defined by the same kind of love that has defined God himself. And when he calls them that, I think it's to draw attention. Well, we automatically ask the question, okay, beloved, well, loved by who? By whom, I should say. Uh, Loved by whom? Well, loved by God. Loved by God. A lot of us, that's hard to hear because we think that we have done things that make us unlovable or there are parts of our character that make us unlovable. But John says that can't be so because God has demonstrated that he does in fact love us by sending his son. So we can never, we can never say that we are unloved or unlovable because God has sent Jesus to prove that that's not so. But I notice that John also here, and I think he wants the disciples to hear this, when he writes to them as beloved, I think he's not just identifying God's love. I think he is identifying his own love for this church, for these people, and for us as we read it. Because the love that God has shown his people is to be lived out by them themselves in the way that they relate and treat each other. And just like the God himself shows love in Father, Son, and Spirit, the church should show love in its very being in who it is. And he calls them by this name, beloved. It's like saying I love you, more or less. Now when we, when we tell somebody I love you, what's the response that you expect to get in return? I love you. I love you too is what you expect to hear, right? Uh, and if you know what normally, at least hopefully this has never happened to you, you, you someone doesn't say I love you and you say well, thank you. <laughs> All right, that that would be, or it would be hard on the soul of the person who said, I love you, if you responded in that way. When you hear that phrase, I love you, even if you reject that message, it fundamentally transforms who you are. It grabs you in the gut. You've got to do something with that. It's not have a nice day. I mean, you've got to, you've got to deal with that. It changes the reality of your life when someone says that to you. It's unavoidable. It's just going to happen. And so when John tells the people, the, the people that he's writing to, you're beloved, beloved by God, beloved by me, uh, he's saying that so that they get that reaction in their gut, that they know that they're beloved by God. They should be beloved by each other. It's supposed to define them in the very core of who they are so that they, and this is the word that he uses, so that they abide in God to abide, to live there, to dwell there, to just go down and sit in it. And he's identifying the common life that they're supposed to share as a community in response to the life that's shared between Father and Son and Spirit. So it becomes real. It really defines who they are. But you know, John's not just making a philosophical argument about ontology, if you will, about who God is and who we are. He wants this to change the way that people actually live. He wants it to start to transform the lives of those to whom he is writing. And this is absolutely important for him. Because for John, the way that the world knows God and knows God's love is because of what they have seen in the Christian community. As he is, we are to the world he says. 
Tom Wright, who some of you are reading in the Surprise by Hope book, the couple of y'all who are following along with that, and those of you who did the Lent study would have also been reading his stuff, and you'll see him on the video um, that we've been watching on Tuesday nights. He says this, We don't really know who God is until we look at Jesus. And now we see the meaning of 1 John 4, 12. People don't really know who God is until they see it revealed in the lives of Christians. No one has seen God. No one has seen God. But we are to love the people that we actually can see as validation of God's love for us and our love of God in response to his love. Now, sometimes when we start talking about these things, people get a little antsy because they they think that we're talking about you earning God's love by doing enough good deeds and things like that. It's not what John's saying. It's definitely not, uh, and it's not what I'm saying either. Notice, we love God because God first loved us. That's what John says. All of this is a response to what God has done. It's trying to conform ourselves to the reality of who God is and the reality of who he has named us to be. It's not an overnight process. It's a matter of being, the language he uses, is perfected in God's love. We as Methodists talk about going on to perfection. I'm definitely not there yet, but we believe that God has called us to grow, to be discipled, to learn to love others as he has loved us. And of course, God's love always comes first, but that love has a transforming power in our lives. The early Christians lived that out by living in very close community with each other. They shared meals that they called agape meals, I mean, love meals. And it was, that's where we kind of eventually get communion from. And uh, it is a way of expressing um, the love that God has revealed in their lives together by actually sharing nourishment together. And the point was to give them a means of growing together. Not that they were already perfect, but they they were growing toward it together. Here's a test for you to ask of yourself to see if this is true for you. In your life last week, in your life last week, and in your, in your life in this upcoming week, how was it made different by believing that God is love and that God's love has been revealed in Jesus and given to us? How did it make your life different? How did it affect the decisions that you made? I want to share you with you two stories, uh, not to just sort of, uh, you know, as a... Uh, not sort of bear all my, uh, my sins to you, uh, and I will kind of leave these anonymous to protect the innocent, but to, uh, just to show you how this might work in your life. All right? Because I think what, uh, what God wants us to see is that uh, as we grow in love, as we learn to be perfected in love, it starts to change our, our character. And hopefully we go from the point of, you know, uh, we don't want to do something, but we do it because of what we know God has called us to do. And then eventually we want to do the things that God has called us to do. And it might actually change the way that we live. Earlier this week, I was uh, working with a friend, uh, a ministry colleague, a friend of mine, <coughs> who I have a good relationship with, about a, an event that was coming up here. And uh, I wanted it to go, and I had a very particular vision how, for how this thing ought to be done, as I often do, okay? And, uh, and so I had some good plans. I mean, I had it all set. I knew how I wanted it to go. And my, my friend did not 
share my vision. All right, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, and we, I mean, it was cordial and everything. And I and I deferred uh, to this person. I said, "Oh, it's, that's fine. We'll, we'll it's you know, we'll do it. We'll do it the way you want to do it." Um, so I knew enough. I was good enough to be nice, right? Uh, but in my heart, it was kind of uh, it was kind of eating at me, right? And so I was like, why, why, why is this person ruining this? Why aren't we doing it the way that I want to do it? It should be, this is how we ought to do it. Why can't this person see it like they should? Okay. And it was just sort of dwelling with me. And then uh, I have this thing I have to do every week, which is preach to you people. And, uh, and that entails reading the scripture and getting ready for it. And as I started um, to read this scripture and prepare for the sermon, I said, oh, I should probably uh, have a different attitude toward my friend and toward this frustration. And it changed the way, gradually, still a little irked, it started to change the way that I understood what was going on. I could recognize my own uh, place where I was falling, falling short of the love of God in this, in this situation and, and begin to pray about and work toward um, more fully embodying what God had called me to do. Another story. Uh, middle of the week, I encountered a person who was asking for help. Somebody had helped before. And normally, I like doing that sort of thing. It's one of the fun parts of this job. You meet people, and it, it's satisfying to be able to help someone. Normally. But this time, I didn't want to. <laughs> for a number of reasons that I won't get into to kind of protect the person's anonymity. But I just I didn't want to. And I was looking for a way out of it because I did not want to do it okay and I had some logical reasons for that but I also knew that uh, part of it was just a not good attitude on my part I just didn't want to so I was looking for excuses I was looking for excuses all into the next morning uh, when I uh, got out the 40 days of prayer card that we've been going through and I saw that I was supposed to be praying for our churches and the churches in our community and I guess that includes me uh, to be known by our love for one another. And I said, oh, I guess I should go do that. And so it, it started, it changed definitely the way that I acted, but it also began to change my, my attitude for it as well by being um, called to account by encountering, uh, by encountering that um, reminder that I had planted for myself a little while before. Now, many of us, you know, you probably will encounter or have encountered, I heard a little laughs that say that you identify with that, okay? You've probably gone through something like that yourself. And I th maybe you've experienced that as you hear the call to love and actually start doing it um, in your actions, it starts to change your emotions and your intellect as well. It starts to change your heart. And over the course of a Christian's discipleship, through those acts of hearing the call of love and responding and obeying, it can begin to transform our character to do things that we couldn't possibly have imagined ourselves to be able to do before. I encountered this story this week that reminded me of, of just to the extent that it's possible to go to love someone uh, when it seems impossible. There's a woman named Mamie Mobley who is the mother of Emmett Till. You probably... Uh, know the story of, of Emmett Till's being murdered in Money, Mississippi. Sometime after uh, Emmett's death, uh, Mamie was asked 
if she harbored any ill will or if she hated uh, the men who killed her son. And this is what she said in response. It would certainly be unnatural not to hate them. Yet I have to say I'm unnatural. The Lord gave me shield. I don't know how to describe it myself. I don't wish them dead. I did not wish them in jail. If I had to, I could take their four little children. They each had two. And I could raise those little children as if they were my own and I could have loved them. I believe the Lord meant what he said and I try to live according to the way that I've been taught. That's what she said about the men who killed her own son. Now it's almost impossible for me to imagine being able to say something like that. Uh, And I've never met Mamie Mobley. I don't know her whole life story, but I think that that kind of love, as she said, it's unnatural. That comes as a gift of God. And I imagine that that gift came through incremental steps of her learning over the course of her life to love people um, as God had loved her. Then to be able to give this amazing testimony to forgiveness, this amazing testimony to um, love in a situation that is absolutely um, unimaginable, just unimaginable. And I want us all to to ask ourselves how we might, how we might in the weeks to come, in the days ahead, to start to live into the kind of love that God has called us to. One of the ways that we've been doing that over the last uh, month or so is our 40 days of prayer for Tremont, where we've had a particular prayer theme each week. Um, Last week, we prayed for our churches, as I mentioned a little bit ago. This week, we're going to be praying for our schools. And in particular, we're going to be praying for our teachers and staff and administrators, not only at Tremont, but also the other folks who are in the charge who uh, teach at other schools, at Nettleton and Tupelo Christian and Hamilton and elsewhere. Uh, So all of their names have been listed individually on cards. Here's Beth Lands, it it so happens. Um, and so you're going to get a card. I'm going to come around and pass them out. And I want you to pray for this person this week. Um, we're going to try to not give you... Uh, in fact, if you get someone that you are closely related to, your child or grandchild or your best friend or yourself, uh, I don't think they're... Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll switch. So you have something somebody you would normally pray for, okay? Um, and of course, if you want to pray for those people as well, by all means, include them in your prayers. But this is to to help us expand our vision for what it means for us to be a community that that loves our neighbors. So they're coming around. Here they come. Um, And we can uh, can trade afterwards. And I'll send send a couple of extra home with y'all since I know that they're getting one of the So, uh, so you know, you're probably partnering with somebody else unknown to you. 
uh, who's also praying for everybody. Everybody's going to be covered, and I'm going to take a, uh, at least for the ones in Tremont, the others I'll just have to send a message to, but everybody else I'm going to put a little note in their box at school that says that, you know, uh, Mount Olive, Mount Pleasant, Asbury, and Tremont are praying for them this week, so y'all don't make me a liar. you got to pray for these people now, okay? Um, and, uh, and the goal here is to help us, again, to help us begin to love like God has, has called us to love. This is just a small, a small sign of that. All right, so when you go home and someone asks you, well, what the preacher preach about? You can say he preached on love. And then when they say, well, what do he have to say about it? You can say he was for it. And more specifically than that he was for it, he says that love it identifies who God is in God's very being as Father, Son, and Spirit. And that we as Christians, as those who have been named by God's love, as the beloved, we are to be identified by God's love. And that's supposed to actually change the way that we live. It's actually supposed to change the way that we live. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help make us uh, to be a uh, people who are known by your love. We pray that um, even uh, though our characters are sometimes weak, that we would grow as your disciples so that when people look at us, uh, they would be able to see Jesus. And by seeing Jesus, they would be able to see you. Lord, all this we ask in the name of of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.